This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm your host tonight, David, and I'm joined by Andrew. What's going on, everybody? Daniel. Hey, everybody. And Ro from the Scarif Podcast. What's the scuttlebutt, everybody? Ro's joining us tonight because we're going to talk about one of my now favorite shows of all time, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I just saw all of for the first time. I finished a couple weeks ago. Uh, Andrew is a big Star Trek fan, but he hasn't actually seen Deep Space Nine. What? And <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Daniel is a big Star Trek fan who has seen Deep Space Nine. So we brought in Ro, have one more person who, who has seen the show so we can talk about it here. Go on a, a big retrospective. We're going to talk about all of our favorite characters, favorite episodes, stuff like that. Um, this is a continuation of our Star Trek series that we did a long time ago where I watched the Star Trek movies for the first time and Star Trek The Next Generation. I've now watched Deep Space Nine, and I have started my Voyager journey. So, relatively soon, I'm sure we'll have an episode about Voyager. Which Andrew, uh, that is actually your favorite Star Trek show, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think The Next Generation is probably my favorite, but Voyager's Voyager's way up there for me. Uh, I, I I thought I've heard you say before that it was oh, one of your favorites. Was, so, yeah. Voyager's actually my favorite. No oh, 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 okay. Gotcha. Andrew would definitely have a lot to talk about with Voyager then. Uh, but for now, he's going to be a little quiet this episode. But it wouldn't be a science fictionary show without Andrew here. So uh, he's here anyway. I don't even know really where to start because I have the longest list of notes that I've ever had for any podcast. Exciting. Uh, here. And... I have lists about my favorite episodes, my favorite characters, things like that. But I guess I'll start and ask um, everybody, well, Ro and Daniel, where they first discovered D-Space 9. Uh, you guys were probably actually watching it as it was coming out. <laughs> yeah, rub it in. Rub it, rub it in. Yeah. We're, I we're wasn't older. born yet. Uh, <laughs> and so you can talk a little bit about seeing it on TV, what you thought about it then, and what you think about it now. So we'll start with our guest, Ro. Well, thank you very much for having me on this show. Uh, I know initially when we started uh, kind of getting the idea to talk about Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, I was very excited. Um, Deep Space Nine, uh, for me, is probably up there as far as my favorite uh, Star Trek television show uh, from that era. And then it took off from there. We had uh, quite uh, a lot of Star Trek spinoffs. For a while, we had a lot of Star Trek on the small screen, which was... Uh, pretty fascinating to me. I remember um, making sure that I had enough VHS tapes to record uh, all the shows every week. Uh, I probably record recorded all of them on, on VHS uh, for uh, the, I don't know, how many years was uh, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, on? Um, that's a lot of VHS tapes. 
Um, but yeah, Deep Space Nine was really great. Um, overall, it had some really... It, you know, it, it was the first Star Trek that really didn't happen like on board a, uh, a Federation starship, which was very interesting. It had a lot of uh, new things, new plot elements and devices that uh, that were uh, a step away from from the normal Star Trek that we we know and love. Um, obviously, there were you know Federation officers. Um, they were the space station, this Cardassian space station that was kind of near a wormhole. So it kind of allowed for the story to kind of come to to the space station, which was kind of cool. So we didn't know uh, what was going to happen, but it, uh, you know, it, it won some some very prestigious sci-fi television awards um, all throughout its run. And um, yes, yeah, it's just one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I agree. It's. Um great show and i love the aspect of them being on a space station uh i, I believe it I, I watched the deep space nine documentary that was made in like 2018 called what we left behind made by the, by the creators of the show and they they talked about how they liked the idea of it being on a station because they could not leave their problems uh they didn't just fly away to the next planet they were stuck and they had to deal with things and they couldn't. They could never just get away from it. So that was a really cool aspect of it. Uh, Daniel, what about you? What do you? What are your initial thoughts on, on Deep Space Nine? Well, I remember when it premiered that I. It was the kind of show like you had mixed feelings about at first, um, but I do remember some of the characters that stood out right away, that kind of hooked me on the show being Kira and Odo, that. That was all very interesting to me. We weren't just dealing with just Federation officers. We had a, uh, you know, they were trying to to work with the Bajorans as well. And so you, you had that dynamic going on. And then Odo was just like you knew nothing about. Um, and I thought the idea of a shape-shifting alien in Star Trek was really cool. So those were the couple of things that hooked me on the show right away that kept me watching it. Um, and it was the first Star Trek show to really focus on these larger overreaching story arcs. And we, we had always focused it, especially with, uh, the original series. It was, it, it really was a different, uh, problem every week. It was serialized. Um, and Next Generation was also to a certain extent. Um, but Deep Space Nine uh, was really the first one, like I said, that sort of focused on, yeah, you had uh, your individual stories each week, but you also had the the overarch overarching story arcs going on in the background all the time. And it would take you a season, sometimes two or three, to to, to work your way through those. So it, it kept you involved. And that was a very different feel to Star Trek uh, right from the start. And I, I, I just thought it was a really, because it, it was a step in a different direction from Star Trek, but they made it work. Yeah. Uh, I agree. The first characters that stood out to me were Kira and Odo. 
and I really enjoyed the different direction that it took from the regular Star Trek stuff. And, and, you know, I think it actually gets a lot of flack from some Star Trek fans that I've seen. I've watched a lot of videos about it, listened to a lot of podcasts about it uh, as I was watching it. because I got so invested into the show that even when I wasn't watching it, I was watching other content about it. And a big thing a lot of people say is that, of course, and I'm sure you've all heard this before, it goes against Gene's vision. It's too dark for Star Trek. It's... It handles too many heavy themes and people are not there. There's too much conflict and stuff like that. But even though it, it does have conflict and stuff like that, I think it's still at the end of the day embodies the heart of what some of Star Trek's morals and themes are about. Uh, you know, it handles a lot of war situations, but it never paints war in a good light at all. It still fits that that message of war is bad and conflict is bad and this is horrible and there's no glory in it. There, there's nothing good about this. And it, it handles that with all the dark situations it goes through. And I really enjoy it. Uh, and because of those dark situations, we get great character development that is not as present in a lot of the other Star Trek shows. Uh, when I say a lot of the other, what I really mean is I've only seen Next Generation and I've seen a lot of Voyager at this point and the least developed character on deep space nine has more character development than the most developed characters on those show. Um, and yeah, Kira and Odo, two of my favorite characters. I, I agree. Um, Kira especially just stole and, the show for me for a long time. And you know, the conflict um, in this situation with Deep Space Nine, I think that's what makes the show. Um, and that's one of the dangers, uh, I guess the inherent danger of Gene Roddenberry's utopian society where everyone has finally learned to accept, uh, you know, everyone's differences and everyone is, is peaceful towards each other. There's no conflict. You know, there, there's no conflict. You know, for some people equals there's no story. There's no adventure. There's no room to grow um so bringing the federation as close you know working with this 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 other crew the bajorans and the uh the cardassians on this uh, space station was was really i guess breaking the mold like you said and and yeah i've i've heard some other people say that it uh, kind of steps away from roddenberry's uh, vision um, but, you know, I, I always remind people that the Utopian Society was part of the United Federation of Planets and not the rest. Of, the rest of the galaxy didn't subscribe to that. So there should still be some sort of right. conflict, you know? Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. Cause, you know, the Cardassians certainly don't subscribe to that, to Roddenberry's vision. Um, and you always kind of had, I mean, there were... You had the Klingons in the original series that were, you know, and 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 there was conflict in those shows too. So I mean, you're right. Just because we, it, Star Trek always found a way to deal with the bigger issues in our own society. And as David brought up, the way this one deals with um, the way we handle war, especially in the later seasons and some of the storylines with Nog. And it, it, that, that to me was always a part of what made Star Trek great. And I think this show did a, a good job of taking some of that even to another level because it didn't shy away from the conflict as much. 
Yeah, because even though you live in this utopian society, and this is always a, a small problem I've had with Star Trek, even though you live in this, this great society, like, sometimes crap happens. Like, evil aliens from, from a wormhole come through, and they cause these problems. And even without that, you have these situations that are morally gray, it's not black and white, that you're going to have to deal with, and not every human is magically going to suddenly be perfect. Um, I've heard it described that while the next generation has a very angelic cast, like they're all these like almost perfect people dealing with stuff, which I don't think they're, I don't think that's necessarily the case. That's just an exaggerated example that people have said. Deep space nine has a lot of very, very flawed people just trying to make the best they can out of a situation like that's that's Cisco's whole character is just balancing a whole bunch of crap and doing the absolute best that he can and it doesn't always work out great things don't always work out perfectly for these characters and they just have to adapt and they have to move on and like I just said a minute ago they don't get to fly away from the problem they're stuck on that station and they're gonna have to deal with different things over time you, you you don't. It, they have they have a few bottle episodes in the show, but especially towards the later seasons, most of the episodes start to tie into a bigger thing. There are very few episodes that don't get at least called back on. Yeah, one of the things that I love about Cisco's character, you know, during the uh, the pilot uh, episode, the first episode. You know, we, we are introduced to him. Um, he has gone through some major, major experiences. Obviously, we, we get a uh, some scenes um, during the battle at Wolf 359, which is the, the Borg uh, attack on, on Earth, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, but then also what he goes through, you know, spiritually with the Bajorans and making him the emissary and things like that. So there's a lot on his plate. And um, I forgot Avery Brooks. Uh, yeah. I think he handled it uh, fairly well. But I love those points because, you know, you go into a show, you don't know a lot about the captain of the ship uh, before the show starts. But, you know, that prologue or that uh, not the prologue, the epilogue, I'm getting my suffixes confused here, um, really tells you a lot about the captain before, you know, before the show starts. And I love that because you, you make a connection. You know what happened at Wolf 359. You know how Picard suffered. You know that, uh, you know, what happened to the Federation. They were all but decimated because of the Borg and because of Locutus. Um, so it's, it's really a fascinating look at the storyline of uh, Deep Space Nine as we start off right off the bat. Yeah, I love getting to see John Luke. Uh card in that first episode and they did a very ballsy thing which is our new protagonist hates the other protagonist right um and right. at this point when this show's coming out as an as an audience you're trained to love picard um picard is your favorite captain like <laughs> at the time i'm sure people still um were probably heavily leaning towards Kirk as their favorite captain, but that was the Picard was the captain on TV at the time. He was the protagonist of the Star Trek show, and to have this new protagonist just spit on him in that first meeting, like he goes in there and there is there is no secret about it. He makes it very clear to Picard that he does not want to be there, that he 
does not like Picard and that he is angry and he is bitter about it. And that probably turned off a lot of viewers at first. Just uh, to, turned them off to Cisco at least. Um, but me not having as big of, as an, of an emotional attachment to Picard as a lot of people probably did. Uh, I just thought it was really awesome. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Someone's calling him out uh, for this. Now, obviously, I know that Wolf 359 was not Picard's fault, but I do understand where Cisco is, is coming from. Um, right. Yeah, Cisco in the first couple of seasons is actually a little rocky to me. Uh, it, you know, you have the first couple episodes. You have Emissary, which is a great pilot, and... He's really big in that. He's really good. They set up the whole arc, and they set up they set up a story that lasts from the first episode to the last episode, which is really impressive that they did that. But then after those episodes, it, for a long time, Cisco doesn't have a lot to do in those first couple of seasons. Um, I don't know if if, if when you, when looking back at it, it probably doesn't feel that way. But having just watched them all season by season, I, I remember pretty clearly like what happened in what season. And um, those first couple seasons, I hesitate to even call him the main character. Uh, but around season three, it picks up. Around the goatee uh, is where Cisco really comes into his own and, and becomes, for what a lot of people is, the best captain on Star Trek. Well, it... They very quickly added a lot more layers to the character than they had before. Um, I don't know about favorite captain. He, he gets, there's a lot to Cisco. There's a lot of depth to that character. And like you said, and I always did say there's a difference between, you know, clean shave and Cisco and goatee Cisco. Um, <laughs> which is just a coincidence, but I always thought it was funny because it, you see someone, as the show goes on, uh, you see someone who becomes very willing to do things that other captains had not be not been willing to do for the greater good. He was definitely one of those characters where you were constantly, in the later seasons at least, examining whether or not the ends justified the means. And, and there was, after about the third season... Like you said, David, it the show really developed a lot more depth than we had seen uh, sometimes in other Star Trek. Now, Next Generation could also get a lot of layers to it and be very deep, but not to the consistency that Deep Space Nine did in its in the latter half of its run. And I think that's that depth is really what. Um made this show so unique especially when it came to award season um it wasn't just your shoot 'em up you know western out in space it really did have a lot of character death depth and um you know it really tackled some really deep topics um the enslavement camp of the cardassians um that uh, the bajorans were victim to i mean they they had some really 
um, close parallels to the Holocaust and storylines like that. So it was just really intriguing to watch. The acting was really great. There was one character, one of my favorite characters in the show, uh, Garrick, who uh, was uh, a Cardassian cook slash, um, you know, he was kind of like Taylor. Taylor there. I'm confusing my Star Trek. That's Neelix. That's Neelix. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I mean, some really deep, uh, you know, storylines. And uh, I think that's uh, pretty much one of the biggest reasons that I really um, adore this show because it's just so it's so out there. It's like I said, it's not your your, your regular Star Trek. You know, it's um, I want to dare to say that it's a thinking nerds uh, Trek. It is very thinky. There's a lot of moral gray areas that come up pretty often. Uh, you were just talking about um, how Cisco had to make a lot of decisions that a lot of other captains probably wouldn't have done. I, I, I forget the name of the episode, but it's one of the best episodes of the entire show whenever him and Garrick are trying to fake the uh, meeting between between the Dominion and uh, the Cardassians to try to fool the Romulan um, senator to join the war. And, bring the Romulans in. Yeah, trying to bring the Romans into the war, and they're faking it. And it's it's framed really well. Cisco's just narrating it into his personal log, and it sets up for a really cool uh, sets up a really cool frame for the episode. And you get to see what happens as as it unfolds. And basically, in the end, uh, just a refresher for those who may not remember. Garrick plants a bomb on the on the ship, makes it look like the Dominion caused it. The Romulan ship blows up, uh, is blamed on the Dominion. The Romulans join the war against the Dominion. And Sisko goes and he confronts Garrick about this, but Garrick kind of convinces him, like, is it really so bad? All it cost Ooh. you was all it cost you was a little bit of your morality in one Romulan life, and uh now the Romulans are in the war. And it's a great ending. Cisco ends, and he's like, "You know what? I can live with that, actually." And then he deletes the log. Um, it, it's one of the best episodes uh, of the entire show, and he has a lot of moments like that where he has to do some kind of questionable things to get results. He gets his hands dirty. Um, I've heard it said, you know, I, 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 to have a utopian society, you know, it's got to be built on something. You got to get your hands dirty. Uh, for everything to be pretty and perfect on Earth, and that's sort of like it's also a parallel to, to just war how it is now. Like, yes, we get to enjoy our freedoms here, but it, people have to get their hands dirty to make that actually happen. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, that was one of the reasons that it got a little flack because you know up until now all the captains have been honorable and let's do the right thing, let's lead by example. Um, and Cisco really, I think was the first captain to kind of introduce that kind of maverick, uh, way of, uh, of doing things. Yeah. And I'd still call C Cisco honorable. It's just, sure. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's willing to get his hands dirty when he has to, because. Yeah. Like we, like we said a minute ago, the ends justifying the means. The ends justify and, the means. Yeah. Yeah. And to Cisco in some situations, the ends do justify the means where for Picard or even Kirk, that may not have always been the case in those situations. But that's okay too, because people are different. And even people in, in leadership roles are different. That's just the that's just a fact of life. 
that it was okay that he didn't need to be, you know, cookie cutter, prom directive rules all kind of, which the prom directive never really got in the way for Cisco, but just, it, it, you know what I'm trying to say. He was, yeah. he, he was, he was willing to do things that he felt would advance the greater good. Uh, no matter what, and maybe Picard wouldn't always be willing to do that. For for him, the way you got things done mattered more than the results. And for Cisco, it was the results. Uh, they were just different characters, and I actually thought that was a good thing. Like we didn't need another Picard at that time. You had a Picard. Next Generation was still running, um, and it's a great show. And Picard's a great captain, but it was refreshing to be able to tune in and, and watch a different type of Star Trek because it was it was completely different from Next Generation. It had a different tone. It had different characters. It had a different type of captain. Um, and that was a good thing. And really, if it had been too much like Next Generation, it probably wouldn't have made it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, we don't need Next Generation 2. We already have a Next Generation. So we've talked a little bit about some of our favorite characters. We've mentioned Garrick, we've mentioned Kira and Odo, and we've talked a lot about Cisco now, but what are some of y'all's other favorite characters in the show? Um, I think, I think overall the cast is great. There's not really out of the main cast. There's not really a weak cast member to me, but I definitely have some favorites, um, including some of the reoccurring cast that as the seasons go on, they get brought back more and more and more. Um, but yeah, what are y'all? What are some of y'all's favorite characters? Uh, we'll start with Ro. There is, and I met her at a convention. What is her name? Terry. Terry Farrell. Dax. Yeah, Dax. I loved her character. Um, I loved her. Uh, she's really awesome, and she's one of my favorite characters. I think it's intriguing um, that uh, you know she lives with a, a little slug inside her that. Uh, <laughs> And you know what? And her character um, with Cisco too, because obviously they have known each other for years um, before um, before uh, Dax uh, switched bodies. I guess because they, I guess they, you know, yeah. want, they live longer, right. but they have to change host bodies, which I thought was really uh, really cool. Um, I love the fact that you know Cisco still calls her old man, and it really adds you know, some depth to their, to their relationship. I, I think that's really cool. They have a super interesting relationship that, uh, that I love. And it really makes the Jadzia Dax character work for me. I, personally, she's not a favorite of mine, but I, I do like the relationship between her and Cisco, uh, especially because in the, in the first couple episodes, they toyed with the idea that, you know, things change when you get a new host and now she's this young, attractive woman instead of this old man. And, their relationship might change with that. Maybe Cisco has some sort of attraction to, to Jadzia, and they don't really touch on it again. But then I love that later in the Mirrorverse story arc, he sleeps with the Mirrorverse version of Jadzia Dax, which that doesn't necessarily prove that he wants to sleep with our Jadzia Dax, but it, I like that kind of callback and that... And they never talk about it. They never bring it up again, but it, it, it sort of plants this idea in your head that, like, maybe, maybe Cisco... Maybe Cisco does have some attraction to Jadzia, just he's not going to act on it because he's not a creep. Yeah, I don't blame him. But I he was always, just for that reason, though, I was always glad they abandoned that because it did just feel creepy to me. It, it, it would have been really <laughs> yeah. weird. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think 
just the concept of trills in general is 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 intriguing. And, and we had seen them in, in Next Generation also. But yeah, that idea was always intriguing. Terry Farrell was a a very good actress. She played that role well. That that character was was interesting and the dynamic of course it is the dynamic between she and Cisco that that sold that character. And it really so sucks that was kind of creepy. Yeah. But overall I think it worked really well. Um and it really sucks that in at the beginning of season seven, uh or it might have been right at the tail end of season six, I don't remember which one, um they kill off Jadzia because there was some uh behind the scenes disagreements between Terry Farrell and production, she yep. didn't feel like she was being paid enough, um, and contract so con- yeah, contract disputes, and, and she and she chose to leave, um, and so they brought in Esri, which I don't think Esri really got a fair shot. You know, people people have been hard on Esri, but she only had one season, while Jadzia had six, so it's not really fair to compare them. I think, but overall, I liked Esri. Um, it was cool to have a counselor brought onto the show, and I ended up liking her and uh, Julian Bashir's relationship. Uh, I thought that was really interesting because I got to be honest, and and this was before I watched the Deep Space Nine documentary. I had a bone to pick with Jadzia Dax because Jadzia would sleep with anybody that walked except for Doctor Julian Bashir. Poor <laughs> Julian Bashir. But come to find out. Uh, in the documentary, they talked about how the plan was for them to end up together until Worf came along and Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn naturally had chemistry. chemistry. And so they chose to write that in. And it, it, it does make sense. The, I think the relationship between Dax and, and Worf is great. Even before Worf was on the show, there were a lot of episodes about Dax just hanging out with Klingons because um, her, her previous host, um, Curzon, was actually like took a blood oath with with some Klingon. So that relationship worked out great. And if it wasn't for Worf, she would have ended up with Julian. So I calmed down. I was like, okay, long-term storytelling, long-term storytelling. But man, I kept feeling real bad for Julian. He was just chasing this, this uncatchable angel or whatever, uncatchable goal. Um, and I was like, I just wanted to see them together so badly. But I, I, I liked his relationship with Esri in the end. And I think it worked out pretty well. Uh, but uh, Daniel, what are some of your favorite uh, characters from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine? Um, well, I mentioned Kira and Odo. Um, I always liked the character of O'Brien. Uh, from the time he was in Next Generation, I always thought it was neat to have an enlisted man on the show as a recurring character when he was in uh, Next Generation, and I was really excited going to be part of the regular cast in Deep Space Nine. Just kind of a, you know, a working man kind of character mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't get a lot in Star Trek. So him having a lot more to do in Deep Space Nine, I really enjoyed. That was always one of my favorite Star Trek characters. Um, and we, we mentioned Garrick already, which I found really interesting. I always enjoyed the episodes that... Um, he was a big part of and I always just thought it was funny for Cisco to call Garrett and go, Hey, I need to be fitted for a new suit real quick. So they can just <laughs> slip in 
information. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that I was that thought. was great. And Garrick wasn't stupid. He knew what was going on too. But mm-hmm. this is how you play the game. So it yeah. it always you know it 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 definitely added something to the intrigue of the show. Um, and he was just a really cool character to me. He was so. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? How do you describe it? He was cunning. He wasn't slimy, but just the fact cunning. That's it. Just such a exactly right. Just such a cunning character that, uh, and you know, a little bit roguish in some ways. So mm-hmm. I always enjoyed that that character and the way the dynamic between he and and Cisco would play out, and even Bashir. Like you know, that was a friendship that you could tell they did a good job playing that. Where you could tell they were two people who really did, you know, and enjoy each other. But there was a little bit of this was a Cardassian spy, you know. But I always enjoyed watching them together. They had they had some great scenes as well. So, other than Kira and Odo that I mentioned being the two characters that really hooked me on the show from the beginning, uh, O'Brien and then and then Jark. Yeah, for the first season, I would, or maybe even the first two seasons, I had argued that Miles O'Brien's the main character. Uh, he's definitely the one that kept me coming back uh, for that. Because, you know, the first, just like every Star Trek show, the first couple seasons are a little rough. They, they have some, uh, some episodes that are skippable. But I would watch every episode that heavily featured O'Brien. Um, I ended up watching every episode of, of Deep Space Nine, um, actually. I, I skipped around to get to the end so I'd be ready for the podcast, but then come to find out it'd be a couple weeks before we could record this podcast. So I was like, okay, I'll take the time and go back and actually watch the episodes I skipped over. And uh, yeah, I love Miles O'Brien. He, there's, there's, this, there is just this bet. I, I swear to God, there's a bet in the writer's room of how badly can we torture Miles O'Brien this week. Like, each writer would come up with a worse and worse situation to put this poor man through. He has been through some crap. And he is just – he's an everyman. He's an every working man, and he's getting the absolute worst of it all. Uh, but I love those episodes. I love seeing him deal with that. Yeah, so in the documentary, they talk about how they literally had to – I believe this was the documentary. I heard it somewhere. They literally had to modify the the suit, the, the uniform, so that he could roll up his sleeves. I was going to say that he's always uh, working with his sleeves up. So that's kind of yeah. funny. He's always got tools hanging out of his pockets and he's always doing something. He's always got a little bit of grease on his hands and he's just trying to keep this falling apart station alive. And I just loved it. It was great uh, seeing Miles on the show and it have such a big role. He was a prime example of the grounding of, of the show. And a lot of the show is set in a sort of like it's sort of darker and it's more down to earth and it's a little little bit grittier. And he was the character that really embodied that, uh, especially since he is an everyman who has to go through the, this this crap. Like one of the best episodes is whenever he is put through that mind prison where he it simulates that he's been in prison for like twenty years, but really it was just like a one hour simulation, and then he comes out of that. And he has to deal with that horrible PTSD that he gets from that. Mm-hmm. Like, but towards the end of the episode, he puts a phaser to his head. Like, have we ever seen a character in Star Trek get close to attempting to shoot themselves in the head with a phaser? Right, no. And, and what saves him is his friendship with Dr. Bashir. 
Julian and O'Brien's friendship is one of the standouts of the show for me. It so naturally developed over all the seasons that by the end, it was so funny. Towards the last episode, they're drunk and like O'Brien admits that he loves his wife, but he likes Julian more. <laughs> and and I just love yeah. that. And I love at the end of that episode, he 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 doesn't like magically get some kind of space anomaly to cure him or like he forgets about the, the simulation. He just has to deal with it now. He just has to live with the fact that he was put through that horrible thing and he has to learn to accept it and move on and do the best he can. Um, and of course he goes through the crap with, with the trial with the Cardassians when they're going to kill him and, and, and stuff like that. He's, he's always going through it, but I loved O'Brien. He's definitely one of my favorite characters might be my favorite character. Um, uh, but do, are there any other characters you guys wanted to talk about before I, I spit out mine? You know, the oh. uh, the cool thing oh. about the show is when they brought over, you know, some characters that we already knew from the next generation. Obviously, you talked about O'Brien later on. They had Worf. Um, and then you, they brought in Barkley uh, from time to time. But it was really cool to see them kind of passing through the uh, Deep Space Nine or, you know, visiting or whatever. But um, that's one of the aspects, too, that I liked. That every so often you got to see. It's almost like you got to see friends. Yeah, people passing through the station. Um, Worf was great on the show. I loved them bringing over Worf. He had some. He 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 brought a lot to the show in those last couple seasons. And you know what's funny? I'm not a big Worf fan from the Next Generation, but when they brought him on Deep Space Nine, I think he had a larger role, um, and he did more, which made me a fan. Yeah, I agree. He, he he definitely had more to do on Deep Space Nine, and he really shined in that show. Um, Daniel, it sounded like you were about to say something. Well, uh, I wasn't sure if you were going to mention Nog or not. I'm definitely uh, going to mention Nog. We, Nog. We got a lot more Ferengi on this show, and, and Nog was sort of the epitome of that there's more to Ferengi than what you got to see in next generation. So if you're going to mention him anyway, then I'm going to let you go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, um, description of Nog. Nog is my favorite character on the show. The character development that he goes through from episode one to the very last episode is just an incredible journey. I loved watching him slowly like he starts as this delinquent and then he develops his friendship with jake which by the way i really like jake jake was in danger of being the wesley of this show but i think he was actually pretty good on the show but you see his and nog's friendship I like wesley more than jake. <laughs> oh wow i was just a big jake fan but not a, okay not a big jake fan but yeah, so you start and he befriends this ferengi and at first cisco does not want jake hanging out with this little ferengi guy um, he's, he's against it, but then there's that great scene very early in the show where he finds that Jake has snuck off to hang out with Nog and what's he doing? He's teaching Nog how to read. I mm -hmm. thought, and Nog's getting excited. I thought that that was awesome. So you start with that and then sort of in the middle of season three, he comes to Cisco and he mentions that he wants to join Starfleet and the whole episode, everyone's like figuring out like, is this a joke? Is this some kind of prank? What? Until finally he gets him to admit it and, and Nog has this great speech about how, his father could be a could be the head engineer on a starship 
But instead, he's just like every other Ferengi, just worried about profit. And he wants and to be different than that. And, yeah, exactly. The whole point that was that he's not even very good at it. Instead no. of following his what he could be good at and be successful at, he has to live in this life that he doesn't fit in because that's what's expected. Nog doesn't want that to happen to himself. Yeah, and it's a big part because he's become friends with Jake and has got to see um, this sort of outsider perspective onto the Ferengi. So he then joins the Academy and just goes through all this great stuff, um, all these great episodes about him learning to become a Starfleet officer. And then you get to the climax of that when he gets injured during the Dominion War and he loses a leg uh, and and has I keep interrupting them so one one of the best one of the best ep- single episodes in the history of Star Trek the one the, the episode where he loses his leg or the episode where he uh, is hanging out with Vic Fontaine the episode with Vic Fontaine when yeah. he comes home he's trying to deal with his PTSD and this psychosomatic pain this phantom pain in his leg and 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 having to deal with the aftermath of his injury is that is that's one of the best episodes in the history of star trek in any of the series you've seen more than me but i would still have to agree with you it's 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 definitely one of the best episodes of the show uh he was an incredible actor sadly the actor who played nog did pass away a couple years ago but he was he was excellent as nog and yeah i love that episode where he has to learn to deal with this with his PTSD and, and and overcome it, and yeah, that's like some incredible character development, and that's why I love Nog so much. And even when I was skipping around, any episode description that mentioned Nog, I would still watch it because I I I was so hooked on seeing his journey. I wanted to see what he would do next because the development was set up so well. He probably has the most character development of anyone on the show. And, and a lot of them do have character development, but he's definitely uh, the top. So, yeah, I love Nog. And then, sort of in the same way, I love Rom. Towards the end of the series, Rom sort of takes some notes from his son. And he, after his son joins Starfleet, and he's really proud of him, he's like, you know what? I'm going to become a engineer, and I'm going to work for O'Brien. And he quits the bar. And he goes to do that, and I love seeing his character journey. And he slowly becomes a bigger character, and he ends up playing like a pivotal role in defeating the Dominion, uh, creating that that minefield to block the wormhole. That was just really awesome to see, and I loved his and Quark's relationship. Speaking of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, speaking of, we've yet to talk about Quark, one of the most essential parts of the show. I was going to say, I love Nog, especially during the holidays, but one of the things that uh, (laughs) is really great about this show is that it does introduce you to, you know, the Ferengi in a a whole new different light. And obviously they carry, they carry a little bit of their characterizations from the next generation as, you know, uh, salesmen, pitchmen, um, snake oils, salespeople. Right, con artists, but they, you know, this show really gives the Ferengi another dimension, like you were mentioning, um, Quark's, uh, you know, Nog, obviously, but, uh, you know, it, it, at the end of, you know, maybe even season three, 
Quark was pretty cool. Uh, you know, he obviously he went on some adventures, and him and Bashir were 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 kind of teaming up on stuff sometimes. Um, it, it really made the Ferengi kind of a, a, a lovable species in, in in a weird way, don't you think? Oh, I agree. Um, though, I'll admit some of the worst episodes for me are the Ferengi episodes that focus <laughs> sure. just on them, and and only because I, I I I'm okay with the bottle episode. I'm okay with a, a standalone episode, but. <sighs> It, it got really annoying when it's the middle of the Dominion War and it's really tense. But then we have to take a break and have an episode about the Grand Anegas. Like that, that <laughs> got annoying. But that actor, it, by the way, though, is brilliant. Oh yeah. Um. Uh, uh, it's the inconceivable guy. What's his name? Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Walter. Um. Walter. Because he's on uh, Young Shield and it's hilarious. It's Walter Sean or something like that. It's it's Wallace Sean. Wallace Sean, yeah, he's an incredible actor, <laughs> and I love that even though he's under all that makeup. As soon as I heard his voice in his first yeah. episode, I was like, "Oh, it's 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 the inconceivable guy." Well, the truth is, even with the makeup, you still recognize him because he looks like a Frankie anyway. <laughs> yeah, he, he just he and Armin Shimmer both are like. The perfect Ferengi actors because it didn't take much makeup. They've got the facial structure already. Yeah, it's just that they're, they're both so good. They are. Yeah, I agree. Quark. So I, I did enjoy those episodes just because I enjoyed that actor. I did too, and I did enjoy them. It's just like, uh, okay, let's watch this one. I'll watch it because I'll enjoy it, but I really want to know what happens with the Dominion next. But okay, fine. Grand Negus it is. Um, but funny enough, actually, the first introduction, the first mention of the Dominion was in a Ferengi episode, actually. So uh, it, it all came full circle. But um, yeah, I agree, Ro, that Quark, even, even earlier than season three, I'd say, like, by the end of season one, you had a very clear understanding that Quark is not nearly as much of a bastard as he wants you to think he is. Right. He will do the right thing uh, when when the time calls for it. And Armin Shimmerman is a great actor, like you just mentioned, Daniel. He's great as Quark, and and Quark really becomes one of the standouts of the show, a, a real um, a pillar of it, I, I I'd say. Especially his relationship with Odo, they have one of the best dynamics in, in, in all of Star Trek, I think. Um, you know this this hard cop and this this guy that he just can't quite pin him down for anything solid. But oh god, he hates him and he wants him so bad. But then you you know that like deep down they they do have a respect for each other, and and right. there's almost like a friendship there. Um, Quark's even the one who co- who convinces Odo to tell Kira how he feels. So there's that, that's one of the best relationships on the entire right. show. I, I don't remember the exact line, but I, at some point in one of the shows, I, I think I remember Court pointing out to Odo that if it weren't for him, his life would be boring. Like, I'm just trying <laughs> to give you shit to do. You know? Yeah. Like, without <laughs> me, what's even the point uh, of you of you being here? Yeah, I agree. They 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 are great, and even and like one of one of the last things Odo ever says, it's when he's about to go back into the Great Link, and Kira's like, "You want me to tell everyone that you'll miss them." And, and well, Odo's like, tell everyone I'll miss them. And Kira's like, even Quark. And Odo's like, 
Even Quark. <laughs> um, and yeah, Rene Dupree, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, was also an incredible actor who's also sadly passed away just a couple years ago. I actually know him as the voice of Mr. House from Fallout New Vegas. So when I heard him speaking, it took me a while to, to connect the dots. But I was like, I know that voice from somewhere. But yeah, he he's incredible. And um, I love his performance as Odo. I love his his harumph. His, his, I can't even begin hmm. to try to replicate it. But yeah, exactly. In the documentary, they talked about how they started writing that into scripts. Like That was just something he did. But then... As he started doing it, they started putting it into the scripts that Odo harumphs. Uh, so, yeah, he's incredible as Odo. And Odo's one of the standout characters of the show. Uh, I love the shape-shifting alien thing. And I love the mystery of where does he come from. And the big twist that he is a changeling. And the changelings founded the Dominion. And the the sort of questions that that brings up. And the moral dilemmas that Odo gets put in. And at, at first, it's like, is he going to go back? Yeah, that's a, that was a real question throughout the show is, is he going to go back to the Changelings? Of course, you knew he was he would never leave Kira. But if it wasn't for Kira, there's a good chance he would have just gone back and joined the Great Link. Um, of course, I think he has a respect for people like Sisko and O'Brien. But Kira was his only true friend. And the relationship between Kira and Odo is, is greatly built up over many seasons so that by the time they get together, I found it really, really satisfying. And I was really, really happy for Odo and Kira to finally find their way to each other. And that made for a great romance, I think. Unless there's any other characters I'm forgetting to talk about. Um, oh, we talked about Kira a little bit. I just want to say Kira's great. I, I love her character. She's one of the best characters on the show for me. I think that Nana Visitor is a great actress. I think she did a great job. And I loved a lot of the Kira-focused episodes. Um, but speaking of, of, of episodes, um, are there any standout episodes of the show that you guys want to talk about? I just want to say a funny uh, factoid. Um, Nana Visitor is in a next, I think it's a Amazon Prime movie called Killer Grandma. I'm I'm guessing she's the grandma. I think so, yeah. But That's um <laughs> it's kind of funny. And um I don't know if any of you guys know the connection between uh Deep Space Nine and the comedy Cheers. Yes. Anybody? Okay. I knew Danny Mor- would know. Morn is Norm. Yes. Morn, yes. I forgot I need to talk <laughs> about Morn. Oh my god, one of the best get on, on one of the best running jokes in any TV show I've ever seen. Their apps I love their absolute commit a, a lesser show would have had like the last episode Morn finally says something on screen. Yeah. Like, right. a, a lesser show would have done that, but no, they stuck to it. And it was so funny every time and Cork's like, Oh, you know Morn never shuts up. <laughs> we just never hear him speak. And then there's that whole episode about how he fakes his death. Um, to try to like bring out his old um, his old friends who he robbed a bank with and everything like that. Like that was amazing. I love Morn, and 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 I love that even even I, I rewatched the first episode the other day, and, it, and from the very first episode, he's a background character at Quark's bar. Um, mm-hmm. So actually, actually, I think 
uh, I read that Morn appears in more episodes than Jake Sisko does, and oh, Jake wow. Sisko is part of the main cast. Right. That's cool. Oh, one more thing about Jake Sisko. Um, I said I liked him, but I wanted to mention this. The only time I actually hated Jake was whenever he stayed behind after the, the Dominion takeover of the station, and he's there as a reporter, and he's working with Odo and Kira to like for the resistance, right? And Kira says, "Kira's like, oh, okay, what's going on? Like, oh, where'd you find that out at?" And he's like, and he's being all coy, and he's like, ooh, I can't reveal my sources, I'm a reporter. <laughs> and it's like, dude, the station is under takeover from space Nazis. This is not the freaking time. <laughs> That's the only time I was like, shut the hell up, Jake, you are so annoying. But other than that, I was pretty okay with him. That's funny. No, Jake's annoying. What, what, annoying what? and useless. You compare him to Wesley, and Wesley saved the ship more than once. At least Wesley was useful and intelligent. I'll have to agree with Daniel. I did not like Jake at all. Nothing against the actors, just that they didn't, you know, they, he was just the, uh, the the goofy teenage son who liked baseball and uh, did nothing much else. You know, I, I will say I liked Jake more in the earlier seasons when, but actually before he was like a teenager and started doing things. That's when he started getting kind of annoying to me. But huh. as a kid, whenever he was a kid, I liked him because of his role there uh, with Cisco and him and Avery Brooks had really great chemistry, I think. And I love seeing Cisco's relationship with his son. And so that's why, that's probably why I really like Jake is really, I like Cisco. So that's why I like Jake. Um, but no, I definitely thought, you know what? I appreciate that Jake didn't save the station every episode i like that about him actually no <laughs> um, no in a show full of characters with great depth which we've talked about depth good character development on the ones who didn't start out with a lot of depth they had a lot of character development and they developed that depth so in a show full of deep characters jake don't fit right i wouldn't i would say jake isn't deep but i think he has some development i like his his well, okay, here's the problem. They focus on it in one episode. Whenever he first decides to become a writer, and the sort of conflict with that, when everyone expects him to join Starfleet, but instead he chooses to become a writer. If they would have played that up a little bit more and, and, and talked about that more, then I would say there'd be more depth to him. But yeah, I see your point. He, he doesn't have a lot of development. They figure out in season two that he's going to be a writer, and then that's his character for the rest of the show, and nothing really changes, <laughs> except for the visitor. But that got like retconned to not happen at, by the end of the episode, so it doesn't count. But yeah, speaking of that episode, are there any standout episodes? Because I have, I definitely have a list, and of course the episodes are more fresh on my mind, so I might have to just bring them up and guide us through this one. I don't know the last time you guys saw a lot of the show, but are there any episodes that stand out? Uh, uh, to either of you? Well, we've kind of talked about them. Some of the bigger moments in the show that we've already mentioned are, to me, some of the better episodes. I I, I enjoyed the episode, actually, the one where Nog does lose his leg. And like I said, I think the Vic Fontaine episode is one of the best in any Star Trek show ever. I The, the episode uh, that we mentioned earlier also where 
uh, has to admit he can live with it. He can live with having the bomb planted on that Romulan are always the first two or three that stick out in my mind. Well, um, I have some episodes, some notes here that I can bring up that we can talk about. I think these are definitely the standouts of the show. So I think we'll be able to tackle all the big ones that our fans might be screaming at us. Like, what about this one? Talk about this one. So I mentioned it a second ago. Actually, no, before I talk about that, yeah, let's talk about um, what you just said. Uh, yeah, I love, I love Vic Fontaine. At first, I was like, what? This is going to be a character now? Like, wait, okay, he showed up in one episode, cool. And then he showed up again, and I'm like, oh, this guy is going to be a character now? But I actually ended up really liking Vic Fontaine and, and, and all of his stuff. And, you know, the episode where he loses his leg, it's, 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 the episode's called AR-something. It's, it's, it's them, it's part of the Dominion War, and they're, they're holding off, holding them off at this, like, last stand, hopeless siege situation. And that's one of the episodes that like really shows how horrible war is and how there's no glory in it. And, and and this is not a thing that should ever happen to anybody. Like this is horrible. Uh, And that, yeah, that's a great episode. And I talked about it a second ago, but one of the best episodes uh, of Star Trek, I think this one actually got nominated for um, an Emmy is the visitor. Which is the episode where there's an accident on the Defiant, and Cisco is sort of pulled out of time, but he reappears every once in a while, and it follows Jake's whole life uh, with Cisco popping up every once in a while to see him, and and Jake's quest, his whole his lifelong goal of figuring out how to save uh, Cisco, how to save his dad, and. The ending is just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, of course, old older Jake is played by can't remember his name. It's Tony something. He's great. I believe he was like he was can- he was the Candy Man, the one you know the one with the bees. Uh, he's a oh, great actor. He, he also played a. Is that the same guy that played the Klingon in uh, Next Generation? He played a I, Klingon Candy Man. Know. Uh, probably. I mean, there's a very good chance. Uh, once you're a Star Trek actor, they will oh, yeah. keep bringing you back for all sorts of stuff, which including Jeffrey Combs, which we're gonna have to talk about Jeffrey Combs in just a moment. Um, that was Wayun, but that yes. it, that ending is just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, whenever you realize that Jake has injected himself with something that's gonna kill himself, because he figured out that if he kills himself, the timeline will reset, and it'll take him back to that moment that the accident happened. Uh, and, and that was just an excellent episode. I believe it was Emmy nominated. And then, of course, there's all of the all of the Dominion War stuff, the whole arc. I believe, like the last nine episodes are all part of one long thing called officially called the Dominion War. But of course, there were a lot of Dominion War episodes before that. But those episodes are great. I love the Dominion War. I will definitely be rewatching. I'll I'll find a watch guide that just shows me exactly which ones are Dominion War related and just watch those all again just cuz it's so entertaining. It's so thrilling and there's a lot of back and forth and it's great seeing uh Cisco and Gal Dukat um and their their rivalry which we're going to have to talk about Gal Dukat as well because to to many people and, and I would agree he's one of the best Star Trek villains. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people would say the best, uh, even over Khan. I don't know if that's the case, but Galdukat's definitely incredible. 
I'm glad nobody said um, uh, my favorite. I think uh, it's the one that I always, when somebody just mentions Deep Space Nine, I, I think of uh, season one, episode 19. Uh, it's an episode called Duet. Yes, we need to talk that, about Duet. Is that on your list? Um, it's not on my list, but I now that you mention it, of course, we got to talk about Duet. It's one of the best episodes by far. I think it won a Peabody and uh, nominated, but it, I mean, it was just, it was brutal. It was brutal and gutsy and uh, just a, a really great um, c- character study, not only with the Cardassian uh, prisoner, and I, I can give you a quick little uh, premise of it. You know, there's a war criminal, a Cardassian, that's in the uh, in the brig on Deep Space Nine. Um, Kira is just infuriated that, uh, that he's, that, that they found him, that they, you know, he's just this, this evil Cardassian that just, and, and played masterfully by, and I, I'm going to look up this actor's name, but he was played masterfully by, um, uh, it doesn't list his name here, but, uh, the actor that played this character, oh man, you just wanted to, you just wanted to kill him, wring his neck, just the way he talked about um the actions that he committed during the war against the bajorans and um i mean talk about just chilling chilling and uh what happens at the end of this episode really sets the stage for uh i guess the the guts that the producers and writers started to show you know after the end of of season one just uh the, the drama just kept on getting you know ramped up um and the show start getting a lot more, uh, you know, they were comfortable, comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And it's a great twist at the end. Um, just a refresher for those who might not remember, uh, sorry, I'm spoiling a show that's like 30 years old, but, um, <laughs> the twist is that the Cardassian is not actually that war criminal and that he's a Cardassian who is sympathetic to the Bajorans and he's playing up that he's this war criminal so that they can punish him so that the Bajorans, get some sort of revenge for the horrible things that the Cardassians did. And he is actually absolutely ashamed of, of everything that happened in the occupation. And it really sets a tone for Kira's story arc and, and Kira sort of learning that not all Cardassians are, are evil and that you can't blame an entire race for this occupation. And that she has to look at herself in the mirror as well and and really reflect on that um yeah the actors outdo themselves in this episode duet is incredible and uh you know you talked about how this show doesn't really uh glorify war you know this episode especially um introduces a a whole bunch of fascinating themes about the nature of war and the aftermath and uh you know that they're constantly explored uh during the rest of the series which i I think is fascinating obviously for uh, a show on on television again just deep deep topics yeah and and a a long they have a lot of long standing arcs in this show which i love about it and one of them is whether or not bajor is going to join the federation that's why cisco was sent there in the first place and that's a long uh, arc that has brought up every once in a while and that's really the whole goal of the show and by the end Bajor does not join the Federation uh, which I think was was also really gutsy 
for them to not even do it. Um, and, and, and it sort of points out, like, you know, maybe the Federation isn't always what's best for everybody. And they talk about that a lot, uh, like especially with the Maquis stuff, which is the next thing I wanted to bring up. Oh, the Maquis yeah. arc really challenges the Federation and, and forces them to look at a mirror. Because the Maquis have a point. I think they're wrong, but they have a point. They definitely have a reason for the things that they do. And a lot of characters, like Michael Eddington, they like to call Cisco out specifically and say, like, you know, at least when the Borg assimilate you, they tell you that they're doing it. The Federation, they just assume that everybody is going to like them. They assume everybody is going to fit right in perfectly and that their way is the best way. Of course, that's not necessarily the case. That's We know the Federation to not be entirely like that, but I can see how somebody could view them like that. Um, somebody could say, could look at the Federation and say, like, wait, hold up, slow down. Maybe I don't want to be a part of, of this of this thing that you have going here, and, and your way is not always the right way. Um, and that... And, and I love, I actually really like Michael Eddington and Cisco's relationship because it becomes very personal and it really does bring into question like, is Cisco just on this like personal vendetta against this guy? And does this have anything to do anymore with the Maquis? And is that okay? Um, so yeah, I love the Maquis stuff, which of course sets up and, and goes into Voyager. Um, which we'll have to talk about. We'll talk more about the Maquis whenever we get to talk about Voyager. Um, but the first couple, before the Dominion stuff takes off, the first couple seasons are kind of the backbone of that is really the Maquis stuff and then also the stuff uh, with with Bajor. So I think those are really great. And the last... Oh, actually, before I get to that last one, because I think this is like one of the best episodes of, this, of the show, but before that I want to talk about the episodes that focus on... Um, Dr. Bashir and the fact that he was genetically enhanced. I, I love that twist. I, I think it brings up a lot of really interesting conversations about the stuff and it brings up the eugenics war and con and everything like that. And I just really appreciated that. And I love the episode where he works with some other genetically enhanced people who were suffering the side effects from it and who don't quite fit into society and he gives them information about the dominion war because they he realizes they can help with their genetically enhanced brains and then they decide there's no way they're going to win and so the best way to save lives is to surrender so they try to help the dominion like they, they, they try to commit treason to try to end the war as quickly as possible because they decided statistically that that was the best way to save lives and how Hoder has to snap Julian out of the whole because Julian was like all about them, and he had to he had to reflect and be like, oh wait, okay, yes, I'm genetically enhanced, but also I have a heart, and it's important to to balance that, and and I and I, I love that I love that whole thing with um, yeah. their statistics saying that well, there's no way you can win, and Julian pointing out like. Yeah, but like you didn't count on this girl helping me get free to come stop you. Where were your statistics? And like if you this is and this always bothers me whenever I read like stuff, like statistically speaking, men are more likely to blah 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 and blah blah blah. 
And it's like, oh, well, so, what if I don't? Like, oh, like you could say, statistically speaking, you're more likely to raise your right hand right now. Well, I just raise my left hand. Now what? Like, what? So what? Like, yes, statistics obviously are important, and 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 there are mathematical equations that can help people predict things, but you can't predict the human heart. I think that's actually like the description of the episode is that Julian learns you can't predict the human heart. Um, well, it's you can't common, always. It was an, it's an interesting way to explore a common Star Trek theme, which is basically that there, there's no accounting for human spirit. You use the word heart, but it's the, the human spirit, yeah. our ability to overcome and to not focus on the odds and believe that we can accomplish things that shouldn't be able to be accomplished. That's part of what makes us human, and it's explored over and over again in Star Trek. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great, that's a great example of one of the best themes of Star Trek is, is the human spirit, and so I just loved that. And then the last episode I really wanted to talk about was the episode Trials and Tribulations. Oh, where yes. they go back in time to the original Enterprise and they masterfully use shots from the original series and insert Deep Space Nine characters into the shots and it looks great. There are a couple masterfully shots where it's a little done, fuzzy. Masterfully one, of done. Favorite, one of my favorite lines in all of Star Trek is when they're in the bar and we've got the old... <laughs> Original series Klingons. Klingons without the uh, forehead ridges, and they all look at Worf and he goes, Don't ask. <laughs> because, <laughs> because at that point it was a kind of a running sort of continuity error in Star mm-hmm. Trek that we all just ignored. So, and that was, I thought that was a hilarious way to address it was Worf just going, Don't ask. It's complicated. Yeah. I think he says, like, We don't talk about it. Right, <laughs> which is which is the writers later telling you on, to leave us alone? Yeah, later on you do actually get a an an, an in world explanation for it, but at the time that was just I thought mm-hmm. a great way to handle it. I, I I do remember laughing at the TV watching that mm-hmm. when it first aired. I laughed whenever Dax talks about how one of her former hosts slept with Doctor McCoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, but no, it was it was masterfully um, inserted, and, and and Ro, you you work in the I don't know what you would call it uh, video adult, adult entertainment industry. Whoa, <laughs> that's uh, a different. That's not the route I was going. Um, <laughs> no, you know that episode was uh, done. I think right before uh, it was done for uh, for November sweeps um, back in the day, and uh, there was such a promotion out. I think they went out to comic book shops and things like that, and they handed out. They they did a special promotion. They handed out little tribbles with the TV guide card that says, you know, join us. Deep Space Nine goes back in time, and they handed out little stuffed um like palm sized tribbles and it was really cool but yeah that that is probably one of my favorite um deep space nine probably my favorite star trek episodes because you know every so often when i get nostalgic i will uh go to 
you know, I'll watch one of the old, the uh, original series Star Trek. Because, you know, sometimes you miss Bones, you miss Spock, you miss the old Kirk. And you want to see their adventures. You want to get on that Enterprise and just kind of see those adventures one more time. But Deep Space Nine, that episode really pulled out all the stops. Masterfully done to incorporate the actors of Deep Space Nine into some of these classic uh, scenes. I think they did a an amazing amazingly flawless job to put them in there it's uh it still holds up and uh i might actually go find that episode tonight and watch it <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's one of my favorites it's, it's just so much fun um and that's an ex- that's an example where it's a fun break from the super tense stuff uh going on in deep space nine yeah i really enjoyed it they're inserted so well i love that this episode introduces the like time cops. I don't know if that was introduced previously in Next Generation, but um, this is the first episode I saw them in where they come and they're talking to Cisco about it, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we deal with all this time stuff all the time, and um, Cisco mentions Kirk, and they're like, oh, Kirk, he has a whole file. Uh, <laughs> just right. about... I, or something like that, or something like there's a whole class... In, in this like time agency school all about Kirk. Um, and like, he's notorious amongst them for messing with the timeline. Um, uh, so yeah, it, that, that was a great episode. Uh, I love that Cisco got to meet him. Cisco's like, I did do one thing that might've like messed with the timeline. I went and shook Kirk's hand, um, which I, I love. So yeah, that was a great episode. Definitely one of, one of the standouts for me and I've been looking forward to talking about it. It just, it, I am amazed at how well they managed to do that uh, with the technology they had at the time. Cause they fit pretty seamlessly right in there, right into those shots from yeah. the original series. They fit in so well that I was like, what did, what did William Shatner look like at this time? Cause like, was it what? Like I had it in my head. I was like, well maybe, maybe they put a little makeup on them and put them in this. Cause there's no way this is from the original series, but no, it, it totally, totally was. So yeah, those are some of my favorite episodes, uh, some of y'all's. Are there any other favorite episodes that y'all want to talk about? No, those are some good ones. Cool. I have a couple more little notes before we wrap up here. Jeffrey Combs as Wayoon and as a couple different characters in the show is amazing. Apparently he's like a huge Star Trek actor. He's played like nine different roles in Star Trek. Um, and, and I his- think up to a certain point, because Jeffrey Combs, he appeared in... Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise. Enterprise, and I think he may have appeared in Voyager, which would put him in four of the five series. Yeah, because we don't, we don't, we don't. So far, there hasn't been a Star Trek series on Paramount Plus that we count. So, uh, <laughs> which is pretty damn. Lower Decks is okay. Well, yeah, but I mean that's also. <laughs> I, I know, you know, I know. The only one I'm referring to right now is Discovery. I have high hopes for for Strange New World, but yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey Collins is amazing. Um, One of my favorite lines in the whole show is, and it's actually between a character that became, like, at the back half of the show, one of my favorites. Um, Is it Dumar? Is how you say his name? He's the Cardassian who was under Dukat, but then takes over after Dukat leaves. Um, Dumar... uh, and, and Wayun are talking, and Wayun is like, isn't it so stupid how the Bajorans worship the wormhole aliens as gods? And Dumar's like, but you worship the Founders as gods? And then Wayun looks at him and is like, but the Founders are gods. And it's like, oh, okay, so that's, <laughs> okay. 
that's every conversation between two, two different religions ever. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I just, it looks I, like looks like he was in Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. Yep. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at his list. Oh, he's also he's also in Lower Decks. Huh. Good. Lower Decks. There you go. Uh, he plays Agamus, the evil computer. Nice. I don't. I haven't seen that show. Uh, I've only seen like <laughs> two episodes. Um, but yeah, uh, I just Wayun is is a great villain. Uh, up there as one of the best villains, but definitely, definitely the best villain is Gal Dukat. Agree. Portrayed excellently right. by. Is it Mark something? Um, Alamo. Alamo. That's, I was thinking Aldo. But yeah, Mark Alamo. He is an incredible actor. He's does a great job as Ducat. Somehow they managed to make him handsome under all of that well, <laughs> Cardassian makeup. Actually, it, he is the reason that Cardassians have neck fringes. Because really? Mark Alamo's neck is naturally so long... That yeah. whenever, when when they got him in makeup, they were like, oh, "We got to do something right here." So he's actually the reason <laughs> Cardassians look the way they look because they patterned because he played a Cardassian in Next Generation. Yeah, the first the first time we ever saw Cardassians, uh, he was he was the actor for that character. So they literally designed the way Cardassians looked around the actor. Which yeah, when you, was, and when, when you see him but, in interviews, it's like he looks pretty much the same uh, as he does with all that yeah. makeup. Um, but yeah, I love the design of the Cardassian. It's like the snake-like almost. Like it, it's, it's great. Um, but yeah, he's great. And I love that his character, in the beginning, he's clearly just a bad guy. But then towards the middle, there's there's sort of this ambiguity. And it's all, he's teaming up with the main cast a lot. And there's this really interesting relationship between him and Kira. And, you know, I knew deep down Kira's never going to fall for this guy. But but uh, there was always that little bit of doubt. Like, are they going to go that route? Um, and, and, he, and he sort of walks the middle. And he's almost a good, he's almost a good guy for a lot of the middle of the show. Until it was towards- a comedy kind of thing going on there was a what a common enemy kind of thing going on yeah which i love the dynamics of the politics of the show serving his own self-interest is just a lot of times kind of in the middle of the show those interests aligned Mm -hmm. yeah and and a lot of times you had these conversations where he would talk about everything he did in the occupation and you know maybe it's not all black and white and maybe he was and, and and come to find out like no he's an evil bastard but there was a time where you're thinking like you know maybe he has a point maybe he maybe he made the occupation a little better by not being as cruel as some as he could have been or whatever which of course is gaslighting um yep. he's gaslighting kira and the audience into making it okay that he did horrible things like well it could have been worse but it, but it, it kind of worked and, and he's kind of walking this line but then towards the latter half of the show he it completely betrays all of that but not in like a i say betray not in like a it ruined his character kind of way but just his true colors come out and really shine when he finds the opportunity to side side with the dominion and he takes it like that and he betrays um 
everybody. He had kind of been working with Cisco at that point. He betrays them, and he sets the Dominion, and he is just one evil bastard um, who truly just serves his own self-interest. But he did have a soft spot, and that was his daughter. But when she dies, which, by the way, it kind of bothers me that, like, at the beginning of the show, they mentioned that he has a whole family on Cardassia, but after they introduced this daughter that he had with the Bajoran lady, they, like, never talk about his family again. Like, yes, your daughter died, but, like, what about the rest of your family? But, anyway, um, his daughter dies, and then he snaps, and he just completely loses it. He's taking capture, and then you have that great episode where he and Cisco end up alone on a planet because their shuttle crashed and that's when you that's when you finally get to know the true Ducat where on the inside he just he hates the Bajorans and he wa- he wants to be treated like a god and he just he 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 is so selfish and just so despicable and like Cisco has a line where he says like I've met some good men some bad men I've met people in the middle, but Ducat is truly the most evil man I've ever met. And yet, he's just an incredible villain. And it's that great arc in the end where he teams up with Kai Wen, who's another just despicable person. Uh, Kai Wen, one of the most hateable characters in all of Star Trek. She sucks. And he teams up with her. And I love that in the end, it comes down between Gal Ducat fighting for the Paul race. We're real Paul race. Really? He's fighting for himself. And you have Cisco fighting for the prophets, but he really is fighting for Bajor. That's the difference between Cisco and Ducat is Cisco truly is fighting for something bigger than himself. When in the end, Ducat only cares about himself. So yeah, Gal Ducat, incredible character. But other than that, unless you guys have anything else to say, I just want to ask one more question. Were you satisfied with the ending of Deep Space Nine. God, I don't I don't even remember. There's uh, 176 episodes. <laughs> uh, uh, the recap, um, Cisco uh, defeats Ducat. The Dominion is defeated by Odo making a deal with the Ch- Lady Changeling, um, the female Changeling, that he's going to go back to the Great Link and he's going to cure them. Of the disease that was infected, which, by the way, with the twist that Section 31 infected Odo to then infect the Great Link, when I when that happened, I paused the show and I just my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, crap. Section 31 is awesome in this show. Odo goes back. He does that. Dominion's defeated. Cisco basically transcends to a higher plane of existence and goes back and goes with the prophets. His wife, Cassidy, is pregnant. He says that he doesn't know when he'll be back, but he will be back. And he goes off with the prophets to do something that's very vague. He's going to learn and whatever. <laughs> and that's pretty much the ending of the show. Miles O'Brien goes back, becomes a uh, college professor, uh, which in, in Star Trek Lower Decks, they talk about how Miles O'Brien is the most important man in Starfleet history. Wow. Uh, which is great. Um that's what happens at Miles. Um, and it's a really heart, heart, sad goodbye between him and Julian, where he has to tell Julian that he's leaving. And and, and so that was that was great. Um, and that's that's pretty much what happens with everybody. Worf becomes ambassador 
to yeah. the Klingons, which uh, uh, Mark is it General? What's what's the general's name who becomes uh, the Chancellor um, after Galron is killed? I don't remember, um, but he's he's a great character too. I really like him. Um, so yeah, Worf becomes ambassador. Um, and that's pretty much the ending. Um, what'd you guys think? If you, if you have any recollection, Dango, what'd you think of the ending of Deep Space Nine? Um, I liked it. I was satisfied. It, you, it had to end for Jessica the way it did. Uh, you, you opened the pilot episode with him, you know, being involved with the prophets and being the emissary. And that was the overlying, the biggest overlying story arc of the series you you had to close that up i think that ended uh the way it should have um because you needed to see the the you know that had to a lot mm-hmm. to do prophecy and religious belief and all that and, and and you knew that some way or another all that stuff would be fulfilled um mm-hmm. I, I really i do really like Worf's ending uh, through through two series and several movies we saw uh Worf's journey kind of go a certain way and and i think it made sense um that he always kind of lived in two worlds and him being an ambassador between the klingons and the federation was uh a good way to kind of bridge that so i mm-hmm. I, I liked that as well so yeah i mean uh, overall i was satisfied with the way the show ended i i, mm-hmm. I think they did a good job tying up different character arcs and story arcs uh in you know really a lot of shows we don't we don't get as much kind of tied up the way we did in this one so i think they did a pretty good job yeah i would definitely agree with you i would have to echo his uh thoughts there i don't remember being unsatisfied and um remembering some of the story points uh i i also think they did a pretty good job I don't, th- I don't think that um, any of the Star Trek television series um, finales were were bad at all. I'm thinking of uh, All Good Things Must End. I was about for to say, Next Generation. Uh, all good, um, it's not quite as good as All Good Things, right? But you know, even um, even the end of Voyager was kind of interesting when they kind of uh, you know Endgame, right? So. I got a little different feelings on, even though it is my favorite show, and I'm excited for us yeah. to talk about that. It is my favorite Star Trek series, but it, it this did end better than Voyager. Oh, so I'm gonna have to go back and look at this one um, again too, because I don't remember a lot of it. Yeah, it was starting to sound familiar as you were describing some of it, but um, I'll have to check it out. It was like a three minute long sequence of Vic Fontaine singing singing a song and just pointing at everybody. <laughs> that's the weakest part of the episode for me but um yeah oh it, it ends with rom becoming grand nagus because uh grand nagus has decided that it's time for reforms in ferengi society and they're going to set up like social reforms and so rom's the perfect person to take charge of that and it really really pisses quark off and quark declares that his bar will be the last remnant of true ferengi <laughs> society so that that was great i loved that um, but yeah, that is our thoughts on Deep Space Nine. I have one last note I want to say because I completely forgot to mention it, but I love that Cisco is from uh, Louisiana. 
and they talk a lot about gumbo in this show. And yeah. I love the fact, and, and for, for context, me and Daniel are both from Louisiana. Um, and I love the fact that Cisco cooks his own food. He is not eating replicated gumbo. He, he, starts, he starts a garden on D-Space 9 to grow his food, to cook, to cook his, his Cajun food. Um, and I just love that. Um, and I really got a, I got a kick out of that every time they bring it up. Uh, especially when he's like making gumbo with like worms because because Nog's coming over (laughs) (laughs) like that was that was great but yeah that's our thoughts on Star Trek D Space Nine I'm sure we have a lot more we could say we could probably go on for hours talking about this show but I'm gonna wrap us up here um unless anyone has any more final thoughts they want to say I'm sure we'll revisit this eventually uh you know it's a it's a seven season long show we're gonna talk about Voyager again we're gonna there's I'm probably going to watch Enterprise after Voyager. Um, Even though I've heard some mixed things about Enterprise, it still sounds good enough that I want to watch it. Um, So we're definitely going to be talking about Star Trek again, and I'm sure Deep Space Nine will come up again. Um, But yeah, any any, any final thoughts uh, on Deep Space Nine? Deep Space Nine, I think, is a worthy entry into the Star Trek um, lore. It uh, it's a great show. Uh, I'm so glad that you were able to kind of pick it up and go through it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and uh, <clears throat> I'm glad that you guys uh, had me on tonight. Yeah, thank you for coming. You're welcome anytime. Um, Andrew, have any final thoughts on D Space Nine? Um, actually, I do. I just want to say, like, okay. ha- not having seen it, I, and I, I am going to check it out. I do want to see it. It's one that kind of fell through the cracks for me. Uh, you know, starting in 1993, um, it was just two years later that Voyager started. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was in syndication. I was watching a lot of that. It was going toe-to-toe with things like The X-Files. Um, and it's one that just kind of fell through the cracks for me. But I, I think what's impressive about it is to follow immediately. I, I guess there's one year of overlap with The Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine. I think, um, too. I think it started with, like, season five of Next Generation. Okay. Yeah. To pick up, to, to follow a show, I mean, Next Generation runs, what, 190, I mean, sorry, 178 episodes? And to pick up with a, a second series, on t- like, immediately and run another 176 episodes is very impressive. For television, too. Right. And then to do it again with Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. Voyager was not short-lived. That no, was it, it ran a long another time, Another seven-season uh, show. Yeah. Um, so has our, has our conversation tonight uh, pushed you more towards uh, watching Deep Space Nine? You know, it, it's one that I just need to watch. Like, I, it's never been one that I've intentionally not watched. Uh, it's just I've never done it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely one I want to check out. It's mostly, well, as a kid, as a kid, it's mostly the one that I remember. That's what my dad watched a lot. Well, don't uh, feel like too much of the show's been spoiled for you, because even though we've talked about a lot, there's a lot to this show that we didn't even get to touch on. Um, and there's we a lot. Plot what? points. Oh, we just kind of talked about overall themes and characters. Right, there's- exactly. And remember, Andrew, sometimes it's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> and this show definitely has... Uh, an incredible journey. Um, all right, Daniel, any final thoughts? 
No, not not anything we haven't already said. I mean, I, it's uh, it was a different kind of Star Trek show. It still to this day, you know, stands out. It it actually we 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 talked about Discovery just for a minute. This show did well. All the things Discovery tries to do and screws up. Yes. What I know that's, about Discovery, that sounds right. Yeah, um, I, I watch, haven't watched Discovery, but. It, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, not at all. I mean, that's that, that's it. That's the best way I've always sort of well since Discovery came out. Like that was my first impression of it was everything this show's trying to do and getting wrong, Deep Space Nine got right. It's it's still the one Star Trek show that really stands out from the rest for mm-hmm. being different. As much as Discovery mm-hmm. tries to be different, it gets it wrong. This one got it right. Yeah. Now, don't get it twisted. There are still some rough moments in this show. There are some real bad episodes um, in the in this in this show. Um, but overall, I think it's great. The one biggest knock I'll give it is it's. I don't think it's as rewatchable as the other Star Trek shows. Um, but I would agree because Voyager or Next Generation, you can you can just hop in at any episode and just have some fun watching some Star Trek. Um, but they're more serialized. Exactly, and, and I, I love that Deep Space Nine um, is is has these long running story arcs. That's my favorite part about it. But it just means, as a side effect, you can't really hop in. Um, if you want to rewatch some Deep Space Nine, you got to like, okay, I'll start at this episode, and then I got to watch these four episodes, which I love. But if you just get a craving for Star Trek, like when I get a craving for Star Trek, I want to go watch Voyager. And that's probably the biggest problem with it. But overall, still a great show. Um, okay, so that is our Deep Space Nine retrospective. Like I said, I'm sure we'll touch on it again. But for now, this was a pretty good encapsulation of our thoughts on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to give us a like, a subscribe, a review, a rating, whatever it is you do on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, until next time, Andrew. Wait, nope, I do you last. Daniel, where can people find you on the internet? I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. All right, and Ro, thank you again so much for coming. We really enjoy it every time you stop by. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be here with uh, family. Uh, We can be found at Scarif Podcast on Twitter. And uh, please uh, take a listen to our show wherever you get your other favorite podcasts. All right. And Andrew. All right. Uh, you can find our Twitter account at sci underscore fictionary. You can drop us a line at the science fictionary at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out our other podcast, Coruscant Radio Underground, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And as always, be sure to check out our podcast as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at red5network.com or at red5network on Twitter. All right. Thanks again so much for listening. And don't forget the next time that you are partaking in a business transaction, do not forget your rules of acquisition. Oh, crap.